Nation, Rob McGregor, welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob McGregor. And Trish McGregor. And our producer and tech magician, John Posey. You can go to themysticalunderground.com where we make regular <laughs> blog posts and where you can find out about our books. Among them are Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities, The Secrets of Spirit Communication, Sensing the Future, and Aliens in the Backyard. Our most recent book is called the Shift reports from the mystical underground. Trisha's latest novel is White Crows, and Rob's seventh Indiana Jones novel, The Staff of Kings, is now available in ebook and audio, and this one is free. Trish. Our guest today is Sally Crow, a psychic medium and author who weaves the traditions of her Irish traveler and Blackfoot heritage with modern magical techniques. For more than 30 years, she has worked as a spirit channel, seer, an intuitive healer, offering readings and teaching workshops throughout the United States and internationally. Sally Crow's new book is called Spirit Speaker, A Medium's Guide to Death and Dying. It's also an excellent guide to the afterlife, which we'll be talking about. Welcome, Sally, the Welcome, witch Sally. of the North Kingdom. <laughs> the Northeast Kingdom. Yes. The Northeast Kingdom. Okay. Thank you for okay. having me. Yes. So when did you first know uh, you were a medium? I am a person who was born into a family with psychic abilities. So my great grandmother was my first teacher huh. and I knew that spirits talked to me my whole life. I started working professionally as a medium when I was 30 after having a very large opening that I refer to as the November incident. Um, I wrote about that in my first book, Jump Girl. And so kind of got the benefit of being raised psychic and knowing about it and being comfortable with it. And then having that volume turned from like 10 to a hundred when I was about <laughs> 30 years old. What happened then? Um, well, I'd already been working as a psychic reader um, with doing divination and precognitive readings since I was 18. So for like, um, you know, over a decade already. And I had a full spiritual opening when I was 30 in which a team of spirits, my team of spirits started talking to me very clearly, um, teaching me. They taught me a lot of lessons. Some of them were pretty difficult, but every time they would teach me something challenging, they would remind me that it was my idea. And I knew when they said it, that it was true. <laughs> It's Which your idea. Why, why I, well, it's why I named my first book Jump Girl, because uh -huh. I say that I'm the type of person who will often stand on the edge and count to three and jump and then find my way out of a situation instead of wading in. But I say I jump in to help other people wade in, like I'll jump in and then find the shallows and 
the easier way in for others? Huh. Well, I think it helps to have a supportive family from some of the psychics we've spoken to, for sure. Yeah, my Uh sister is also psychic. So I not only had my great grandmother when I was growing up, um, I have a sister who's a year and a half younger than me, and we both have psychic gifts. So if one of us saw something, the other one did as well. So it was easy to get confirmation that your experience was real. Um, and both of well, us work and teach in the psychic field. So hmm. does she live in Vermont? She does. She lives, uh-huh. um, we live very close to each other and I have a, um, educational center in psychic artisan skilled in the town of St. Johnsbury, Vermont. And my sister hmm. also works out of my space. Ah, that's cool. Um, well, you say you approach the mediumship through the path of the healer. What what does that mean exactly? Can you explain well, it? The simplest way of putting it is that I wouldn't do haunted house tours because I would be more concerned with helping the spirit who is distressed to cross over than I would off of having other people be able to have a right. psychic experience. Um, it's my own personal, you know, way of looking at things that came from my upbringing, but also. I have my Reiki masters in six schools of Reiki. I've been a vocal toner, um, sound healer for 20 years. Um, Most of my clients I've been, I started in this really small rural area and my reputation just allowed it to grow and grow and grow. Um, So a lot of people who are my clients are everyday people, you know, and they really trust me and rely on me. And so my approach has always been in healing. So I work with families when they are grieving. I work Mm. with people who are coming. I work with the beloved dead primarily. Um, I do do some work with haunted houses, but in that case, it's more about helping the living in the house Mm -hmm. and the spirit to find an agreement or to help those spirits cross over if they're distressed but i don't do it for entertainment purposes like it's all really deep and often i'll work with whole families you mean that live in the house are you talking about no, I'm just talking about like when somebody comes to see me for spirit communication i allow people to oh, record me and then usually what ends up happening is more and more family members come back because huh. my information is really accurate. And in the case of deaths that are traumatizing, I often usually work with family members in my role of a healer through Reiki and sound healing. Do you ever get overwhelmed? <laughs> um, there have definitely been times, you know, and... I've had to work really hard. I worked really hard on psychic self-defense when I was in my Mm twenties, uh, before I started doing spirit communication publicly, just when I was doing psychic readings for people publicly, because you're still looking at really deep things. Mm -hmm. And, um, I had, (laughs) so when I was in my twenties, I owned a metaphysical shop and I owned a bar. Oh boy. (laughs) What a combination. It was, it was a lot for me. It pushed my, a lot of spirits in that bar. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, but also it really pushed that part of me that was empathic to almost, you know, that breaking point, which is actually Mm -hmm. why I ended up studying Reiki. Um, when I first started doing Reiki, it was for my own self. It was for psychic self-defense and, 
my Reiki master laughed at me and told me that Reiki had a mind of its own. And I immediately started doing healing work as soon as I learned Reiki. Um, and like I said, I've now been practicing healing arts for like 25 years of my oh. life. So <clears throat> what sign are you? I'm just curious. I'm a Gemini. Are you? Huh? Yeah. yeah. May or June? Um, May, I'll be 52 on May 29th. So huh. it's interesting because I do numerology as well. And so this is a seven year in numerology. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm also going to be a seven number because I'm going to be 52 and my birth number is a seven. So I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay, that's <laughs> stuff happening. This year. Yeah, good year. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sally, you Sally, you encourage people to uh, make uh, contact with the other side. You give them uh, in your book ways of making that contact. Uh, do, uh, do you suggest that people use any type of uh, protective invocation or anything to uh, avoid uh, lower entities that might come into uh, their way? Well, I encourage people in... Um, spirit speaker, I encourage them to create relationships with their beloved dead. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, we have a natural resonance with our beloved dead that doesn't require us to have to protect ourselves from mm-hmm. negative entities. It's okay. like all of us have our grandma come to visit, all of us have our, um, you know, maybe our spouse or something near us. I like to look at it through our, our luminosity, you know, everybody Mm -hmm. has at least the light of like a tea light candle that allows their beloved dead to come to them and to be close to them. And that's what I focus on in the book when I'm telling people about opening up to spirit, when I'm training people in spirit communication, I talk about first getting a spirit that I refer to as the doorman, because again, I owned a bar. (laughs) So the doorman says, you can come in, you need to stay here, I'll pass a message for you, or you need to go away. It's your trusted companion on the other side. But that's more for people who are looking to do spirit communication as more than um, talking to their own family Uh members who've passed. Do you have a bartender? Yeah. <laughs> I do not. I do not. Um, I think that's probably me. I'm the one that's usually in control yeah. of the show. So what about the other way around? Uh, the beloved dead contacting us. What are the ways that they can uh, contact us, that they do contact us? Well, there's a lot of ways that spirits contact us. And all spirits like it doesn't you don't die and get this manual that says this is the best way for you to communicate (laughs) okay that's good they have they have to kind of figure it out on their own what way works best for them so Mm -hmm. some spirits are really good at it and some spirits are not so when we go for example to a medium maybe you've gone to like a gallery where there's a medium giving readings to you know some of the people in the crowd and one reading might be so spot on and filled with detail and the next one might still be accurate, but not as, you know, flavorful. Mm-hmm. And partially that's because spirits don't all communicate as well as each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hmm. different spirits have different techniques that they use, but a person who is good at communicating in life is most likely going to be a good communicator in death. Huh. And a person who really struggles with communication in 
life is going to have a harder time with communication and death. So just keeping that in mind, it can mean that um, some spirits are just better at doing it than others. But common ways that they communicate, um, music is one. You know, a lot of us have felt a song come on the radio mm -hmm. and then felt somebody with us. And I like to talk about that one because I tell people it has nothing to do with the DJ. Okay. <laughs> so it's not that the DJ right. is being told to play this song because if they were, they'd be paid a lot more money than they are. <laughs> um, it's more yeah, it's synchronicity. It's synchronicity mm -hmm. and it's opportunistic. Spirits yeah, are opportunistic. Yeah. So what happens is if you're in the car and this song comes on that, you know, was a song that was between you and somebody else, that spirit, if they're with you, is going to push their energy at you so that you feel them at the same time that you're hearing that song. And if you respond like, Ooh, even if you just like, they notice it. And so uh -huh. they will use that pattern again. That's why spirits will get into these patterns of how they communicate. Um, and it has to do with their personalities. You know, some the some of the easiest ways for spirit to communicate is through our olfactory senses, our sense of smell. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because we're very sensitive to that. We can smell something, you know, like it's springtime here. You can smell um, a scent of, you know, damp earth and brings you back to being, you know, 15 years old and being uh -huh. out in the woods with your friend. Um, the spirits use that same kind of concept. So they will often give us the smell of something and it will make us think of them. So like maybe you smell cigarette smoke, but you don't smoke and mm. you immediately think of your brother, Bob, you know, and then you react. And again, they know that you reacted to it. So they're going to use that again and again. Um, dreams. Spirits often will communicate with us in our dreams. And when that happens, it is usually a moment that we know we're not dreaming, you know, so mm -hmm. the dream feels more um, often. There's some kind of moment in which we're seeing the person and we realize they're dead. You yeah. know, that's the, that's the kind of contact I've had uh, with beloved dead uh, in dreams. And it, it's, it's like a very vivid dream uh, exactly. uh, flash that happens. And there's the person. Uh, one particular one was just a, a message in the same kind of voice the person spoke in, in, li uh, in life. And uh, he had a kind of a way about him. And he, he said, uh, hi, Rob, I'm dead now, you know, just <laughs> kind of, <laughs> yeah. and, and like a, a week late, I hadn't been in contact with that guy for a couple of years. And then about a week later, I heard that he had died in a car wreck. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting too, uh, because the time right after death is when most spirits have the most or most people are going to experience contact is within the few weeks after death. And it has to do with that person who has just passed into spirit, kind of like still having a close connection to the living world mm -hmm. and still having a closer connection to that, how that energy works. And, um, you know, so the couple of weeks after somebody passes is usually when a lot of people might experience a visitation from that spirit. Mm -hmm. How about loud sounds, loud noises? You have noises. Sometimes they'll make a noise. Um, I wrote about that in my first book, Jump Girl. Again, that was a memoir of my life growing up psychic and of my opening. 
And um, in that book, before I had my major opening, one of the things that happened was a loud sound that the spirit Adam, who I've worked with for years now, um, at the time I didn't know what it was. My husband and I were coming back from being out. It was, we had the kids in the back seat asleep. And all of a sudden we heard this really loud and mm. so loud that we pulled over because we thought something had happened to the tire, had something happened in the back seat. Um, nothing had happened. And then um, shortly after that, a lot of things started happening. <laughs> <laughs> Your husband thought, oh, what am I living with? <laughs> yeah, well, he was he was actually he is a very solid person. I'm really thankful for that because we'd already been together. Um, we've been together for 33 years now. Mm -hmm. So we met when we were like 18 and 19. And wow. he knew that I was psychic. He knew that I, I mean, that I did these things. Um, yes, the experience was outside of ordinary, <laughs> but it wasn't completely shocking for the path that I was already taking because I mm -hmm. have always deeply pursued the psychic arts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What? Let me ask you a question. What? What about uh, when I, Rob and I were sitting in our our rooms or our offices or off the family room, and I was writing to a friend who had just lost his wife, and I just heard about it, and suddenly there was this huge explosion. I mean, it sounded like a transformer blowing mm -hmm. in the family room, and so I wrote him. I said, "Oh my God, you're not gonna believe what happened." He goes, "That's her. She's stirring <laughs> up trouble in the afterlife." And I thought. Yeah, I mean, it scared the dog off the couch. It takes a lot of energy for spirits to do something like that. So they usually only do it when they have great need and they're really trying to get somebody's attention, huh. you know, because it does the, you know, the way that spirit gets energy is there's two ways. One is if you are in a space that has a lot of ley lines around it uh -huh. that that's going to give them a source that's why there more people have spiritual experiences like near a stone circle than they do um you know at wendy's um, yeah you know what i mean <laughs> um and <clears throat> The other way is through a medium. So sometimes that medium is not a developed medium. It is just a battery, you know, like a lot of untrained mediums are people who, when you have it as a natural ability, spirits communication or spirit activity is going to happen around you, you know? And if you have a house where that's haunted and no one living in it has any ability as a medium, nothing will happen. If you move one person with that ability into the house, everybody in the house can have an experience because the medium is being used as a battery. And that hmm. medium will often be tired and run down because their energy is constantly being tapped. And when we train ourselves, then we can learn to be the one that's in control of that energy on whether or not spirit uses it. And when, you know, I don't have to be woken up in the middle of the night because yeah. do that as a spirit, I'm not going to talk to you. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> right. You got to make, you know, make it a comfortable thing for me as well. Now, what, what is a spirit's purpose in communicating with, with the living? Is it just to say hi? I mean, to, um, what are they sometimes learning? Sometimes there's a lot of, a lot of, people who are alive right now who are working on um 
what I consider family curses, you know, those generational damaging things Uh like alcoholism and poverty and, you know, um, abuse. And there's a lot of people who are living right now who are breaking those patterns. And there are spirits on the other side that are also attached to that family that are actively helping them to Uh break those patterns, to heal Mm -hmm. those family lines. So it depends on the spirit, you know, sometimes the spirit just comes through um, for visitation. I often say like in my professional work, you know, I am, I'm a psychic medium by trade. I'm an author as a secondary thing. Mm and I do about 20 hours of, uh, client-based work a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I find is that it is kind of like being a guest at other people's family reunions. A lot of times <laughs> it's people coming together. If your relative was really funny, then your spirit communication funny session will probably be funny. People will be laughing, you know, cause they will show their personality. Huh. And that's really what a lot of people come for is they just want to connect with that person mm-hmm. again, that they love. They, they not only want to know that they're okay, but they want to, know that that spirit is looking out for them. And the spirits do do that. Often spirits will talk about things that, you know, like I have had people so many times I'll tell them something and they're like, Oh my God, we were just talking about that in the car on the way over. And I'm like, yeah, I know they were with you. That's why they're telling Uh us. Or, you know, sometimes the spirits do come through for those bigger reasons to help family members when they're in need or when they're changing um, a destructive family pattern. Do you well, think what about that, animals? I'm sorry, Rob. Okay. Well, what about animals? Can I? How don't does that work? work with animals? I can, but it's not where. Like, I don't really work with animals. Um, animals have a tendency to reincarnate quicker. Sometimes people uh, will even experience having the same spirit of an animal more than once because mm. the animals don't have as much. Um, you know, baggage baggage yeah for <laughs> sure they don't have as much baggage although sometimes a, an animal particularly if it was a really beloved pet will be waiting for a person when they cross because there's been times when that animal has been talked about by spirit you know where spirit mm. another spirit is telling me that they have this dog with them as well and that the dog is so and so's um huh. you know and i know that that dog is going to hang out until the people get there but i don't do animal communication as part of my psychic work. Um, I primarily, you know, I really primarily see myself as a healer in everything that I Mm -hmm. do. Like I I have a lot of um, counselors and therapists, psychiatrists as clients. And um, I even worked in a therapist building um, because they asked me to come work there. (laughs) You know, so you know, but I found it too boring for me. I was like, <laughs> I don't want to, it's really quiet and dull here, but yeah. I'm not working. Yeah. Well, Sally, do, um, do, spir- do spirits miss being alive, do you think? They miss parts of being alive. Some of them are happy to be in spirit because life was really hard for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but spirits do miss things about life. They miss food. They miss mm-hmm. drinks. They miss smoke. They... <laughs> um, you know, they miss sex, but they don't talk about that as much. But sometimes I do work with um, couples, like when somebody's passed and I have to be like, I'll say things like, 
Well, I can tell that you had a very frisky relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, they talk funny. about food and drink a lot. They're no, especially no, around the holidays. Okay. No sex on the other side, though? <laughs> I don't think it's the same. They actually <laughs> describe it as looking like fireworks. Okay. Huh. Right. So, Buzzing each other. Huh? Yeah. I think that there's a different kind of intimacy when we cross into spirit because we can actually lose ourselves or step out of being just well, first of all, when we die, we become all that we are. I believe in reincarnation and the spirits mm-hmm. I've communicated with, that's how they describe it is you become all that you are. So mm-hmm. every life that you have been, you are, you're that mm-hmm. higher consciousness when uh-huh. you're in spirit. And mm-hmm. then you can also kind of like blend some spirits choose to become more part of that collective consciousness, whereas others really like to hold on to the, the story of who they are. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about. Uh, it seems like uh, that spirits to evolve more would get away from the earth energy <laughs> and move on elsewhere. Depends on the spirit. Some of the spirits okay. are very much, they like it. Like I consider myself that. I like the um, earth plane, mm-hmm. even though I'm a very spiritual person, I really enjoy the physical plane and mm-hmm. Um, I really like being in that border between the two, you know, a medium exists in that betwixt and between, which means Mm -hmm. that you are more in the spirit world than the average person. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. What, um, about how long, uh, how do people figure out when to come back and to whom? Does it I don't vary? really know that part, to be quite honest. Like when they usually, if they reincarnate quicker, if they are really working on something uh-huh. and they're very passionate about it, um, it takes longer for souls that are, you know, who have damage or who have, da- you know, damaged self, damaged, damaged others, been damaged mm-hmm. by others. Um, they might take longer before they're ready for it. Some spirits, uh, my uncle, for example, reincarnated really quickly. It was, um, a really strange thing. I had an uncle who he, I say he was here on a vacation life. Like he (laughs) never got married. He never had kids. He was a good guy. People loved him. He didn't have any, like anybody he did wrong. Do you know what I mean? Not a lot of karma. And he died young, about 42. And wow. then he reincarnated almost immediately. But then he died again, like two years later. Uh-huh. It was that I think that sometimes when we are higher souls or we've had that benefit, we might volunteer to come back as a child who doesn't live long, you know, which is what I think hmm. my uncle did. Like he had this really easy life and then he had a life of, you know, dying young. And then he was back in spirit. And, you know, so there's definitely not a set pattern for it. I think. Did you recognize him? What happened was I knew that he had reincarnated because um, I had spoken to him shortly after his death. And then I knew spirit told me that he had moved on. And my father when my father moved back home, my father also had abilities, but he didn't embrace them until he was much older until the last, like he was 60 years old because my dad, um, 
had gone to war. He was in Vietnam. So there was a mm. lot of reasons he didn't, he used his abilities and <clears throat> didn't feel comfortable with them. And shortly after he started opening up himself, one day he came, I came home and he was at my house and my dad was like, I've been talking to Ted, which is his brother. I'm like, dad, you can't be talking to Ted. Ted's already moved on. And also my uncle was in my head and he was like, actually, Sally. Like, oh, oh God. <laughs> so yeah, I have a very um, unusual experience in that working with spirit in one form or another has been pretty normal most of my life. And That's great. Yeah, it's definitely made things easier and it's made it so I mean I've I've been teaching for many years. I was teaching for a long time before I started writing because I felt that in many ways the upbringing I had was necessary so that I could help other people mm -hmm. because we are living in this time of psychic evolution where people are waking up and opening up and having Well, that's for sure. <laughs> and if you don't have any you know like any understanding of what that is it can be incredibly scary mm -hmm. that's a good point that's what our book the shift is about that the whole thing everything's shifting yeah you know this yeah. this awareness is just it's incredible and it more, is incredible it's really fun to watch yeah. right more more and more people are uh tuning in being uh psychic and who had never thought about it before and, yeah uh, and then there's I a climate climate change aspect too that's going yeah. on yeah well i think that they go hand in hand um mm -hmm. my second mm -hmm. book which was the path of elemental witchcraft um was a book that came out last may i wrote two books in i had two books that came out within a year of each other and um in that book it was all about communicating and working with elemental spirits mm -hmm. and you know needing to develop this understanding of our connection with the natural world, you know, like, so what you're talking about, Rob, with climate change is like, I don't think it's a coincidence that we're becoming more psychic. No. I think we need yeah. to be if we're mm -hmm. going to survive because we have to start thinking differently. And the only way we can think differently is to experience life differently. Because if you experience that everything has a consciousness, you have to start it changes everything. Responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. Changes everything. I think it's interesting that your family has discussions, not, not discussions, but disagreements <laughs> about whether or not your uncle came back. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's fascinating. Weird. That's um, fascinating. And I've argued with my spirits. I wrote about that in my um, <laughs> first book, like, simple things. Like I remember one time I was, it was Christmas time and I needed a parking spot. And I asked <laughs> my guide to find me a parking spot. And he told me to turn down this lane, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, there is no parking spot there. I don't know what you're talking about. And then somebody backed out. And I was the one who had to be like, okay, I'm, you're right. You did, you're right. But yeah, I think that part of it is just that understanding that spirits especially when you're talking about the spirits of the beloved dead, these are in many ways you have to treat them like you would the living, you know, like uh -huh. I have to, I can ignore spirits easier than other people because, you know, if you're in the grocery store, you don't feel the need to talk to every living right. person you see. 
And so I treat it the same way with spirit that just because I see you doesn't mean I have to interact with you, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's a matter of choice. And, um, I think that is, you know, part of what we, we're all learning that now, especially as we're opening up empathically that just because I feel you, just because I sense you doesn't mean I have to own this or react to this. It's all part of that opening or that shift as you guys like to put it. Mm -hmm. I have a question about uh, when my mother died, uh, she had had a marriage with my father for decades. It was about bringing up the family. And then after, after he died, she had another relationship that was kind of a fun relationship that lasted maybe 10, 12 years or something like that before he died. So I was wondering when she died, did they both meet her there? Yes. <laughs> How's that work? How's that work? Yes. <laughs> yeah, they do. Well, we don't have the same level of um, our emotions. So our emotions get turned down when we die. That's, in, you know, this is a good segue for that because if we look at our emotions and on a volume dial, like on the radio of zero to 10, most people go through life with their emotions set at about a three or a four. People with anxiety and depression will have their volume set at as high as an eight or a nine, Mm -hmm. which means that they're literally drowning in their emotions. Because if we had to listen to our music that loud all the time without a break, we would have a hard (laughs) time feeling sane. Um, And when we die, our emotions get turned down to about a two. So jealousy isn't really as big of a thing in death because you're able to see how somebody loves differently. Uh So yes, often um, people will have more than one spouse waiting for them when they pass, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't have to get rid of one because of that, that connection. That sense of jealousy is not there then? The jealousy is not there Mm -hmm. because remember if your emotions are turned down to like a two, and you're able to see all the perspectives. That's the other part. So when yeah. we die, we're able to see all the perspectives. We're able to see what the other people are actually thinking and feeling. And, mm. you know, it's it's freeing for a lot of people. They spend a lot of time reviewing their lives and seeing what was really going on instead of what maybe they felt was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I have a question. What, what is the afterlife like? I mean, what, what does it look like? What do you do there? What, you know, are there activities? <laughs> well, I certainly didn't get a guidebook, so I can tell you what I know, and that's okay. all I can tell you. Um, some spirits, like I said, go into, they spend a lot of time reviewing different pieces of their li- their lives mm-hmm. and who they were. So, and they can do that from multiple perspectives. So it's kind of like a really interesting television experience. Um, Some of them work as guides. A lot of evolved spirits do. They choose to be actively involved with people who are living. Uh Um, And, you know, like some spirits hold more on to wanting to have a home or a physical domain like Mm -hmm. um my husband's one of my husband's spirits that i communicate with because he lives in my house um (laughs) is every time you talk to him he will meet you in his office he was a one of his lives he was a doctor in Uh. in the late 1800s and he has this oak 
office or maybe it's other wood. I don't know. I just know it's all wood, like wood cabinets, wood desk, wooden huh. walls, glass and wood. And and he likes to meet you there because he really loved that space. Huh. Um, so my dad was a person who, when he was alive, would at, call me from California to ask me, you know, questions kind of like what you asked, Trish. Like, uh-huh. Do spirits sit in chairs? And I'm like, well, if they want to sit in chairs, they can, but they're not sitting in it because they're fatigued. Right. You know, so, like. But but isn't it also true that what people think they're going to experience, that they will experience, for example, if you're a very religious person and went to church every or temple every week, uh, and then after you died, you thought, that you would continue going to church and that was <laughs> what you would find a church there. And they probably uh, would create it for themselves. And yeah. Mind. Right. And then yeah. they kind of wake up after that to th- realize that's really not necessary. <laughs> right. Right. Um, most of them, well, when we become all that we are though, and that happens when we die, we get to see all the different aspects of it. I also think that time isn't the same when we're dead. So like when we have to wait 40 years because our, you know, husband died 40 years before us, that's different for the spirit, the husband that 40 years could go by really quickly because Mm -hmm. they're not stuck in that linear time. You know, it's like, I as a medium don't even really believe in past lives as much as I believe in parallel lives. Uh-huh, so right. I think that sometimes that time in between lives is really might seem like 500 years here, but is really compressed when you're in spirit huh. form, different spirits have different roles. Some spirits are very involved in the evolution of human consciousness. And there's a lot of spirits who are working right now. You know, a lot of more people are working with their spirit guides than, you know, in a very, very long time. I won't say forever because I think that psychic consciousness is on a pendulum swing, you know, Mm -hmm. and that we are in a time where we're opening more up again but we certainly know that it wasn't that long ago that it was really repressed and that if you showed any sign of this right. persecuted. Mm-hmm. So right now there's a lot of spirit guides who are actively working because a lot of people are ready for that opening in their consciousness and you kind of need a guide helping you through that. I thought it was interesting that in, in your readings uh, with, the deceased that you've yet to come across anyone who's either in hell or heaven. (laughs) Yeah. And I have communicated with a lot, a lot Mm. of Catholic grandmothers. Okay. Oh God. (laughs) To church every, you know, multiple times a week. And, you know, because I live in an area um, close to Canada, close to Montreal, actually. So we have more French um, French Canadians and a lot of, um, you know, people have, Catholic grandmoms. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, the interesting thing is, is that those people are actually easier to communicate with, because while the afterlife might not have been what they were expecting it to be, they very much believed in spirit and in an Mm -hmm. afterlife. Uh And so they are easier to communicate with, they might be surprised, you know, that they're communicating through, (laughs) you know, um, 
a witch, but I think that I do a good job <laughs> of helping everyday people understand what I mean by that word. You know, uh -huh. to me, a witch is a, a wise person, is a person, you know, and magic is science that hasn't yet been explained. Right. Um, and I also have, I've worked in this area. I was in the school board for nine years. I, people like I'm a normal person in my community who has these abilities and does these things. And because of that, I've had old ladies and police officers and, you know, mm -hmm. therapists and my clientele is really pretty normal. And you were not banned from the school board. <laughs> no, I was the president of the of the school Wow, board that's in great. Town. Yeah, but and you're in Vermont. You're in Vermont, though. Yeah, you're in Vermont too. Yeah, I'm in Vermont. <laughs> I live in a very liberal state. Yeah. yeah, but um, you know, like when I wrote my first book, I knew people would buy it because it was a memoir. Mm -hmm. My second book, though. I mean, it literally says witchcraft on the front of it. And I was like, I don't know how my clients are going to respond to this. I mean, they know this, but I have little old ladies who buy that book, you know, who, <laughs> because funny. they trust me, they're willing to read what's in it. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think it's just that I've always introduced myself first as a person who was a involved community member before, you know, I introduced myself as a witch, you know, that mm -hmm. just happened to be who I was. And because of that, mm -hmm. you know, I have some clients that I've been seeing for 20 years. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Good. Okay. So, so do we have any spirits who are working on the politics in this country? <laughs> I mean, do they ever even dare take that on? <laughs> Boy, that's a hard one. I know yeah. it is. I mean, it, I have, I personally believe that sometimes, you know, like, I don't want to say that I believe, I believe that we are, one of the things that I was told when I had my opening experience by spirit was that, you know, that they talked about that years ago, that there would be a civil war of sorts, that it uh -huh. wouldn't be like the civil war that we experienced, right. but that there would be this breaking down of you know, what our country was and this division between ways of thinking. And uh -huh. um, so sometimes I think that something is bigger than, uh -huh. than what we right. see. Do you know what uh -huh. I mean? Yes, um, I know exactly what you mean. And while I would like to think that they work <laughs> on politicians, I think that, you know, the politician first has to be able to hear because just like we know that most people can't hear spirits talking mm -hmm. to them, mm -hmm. you know, even though the spirits are the people who are, maybe you guys talked about, about like the low energy, low energy. Uh -huh. Those are, yeah. if there are spirits speaking to the politicians, I think those are the ones. <laughs> yeah, <I guess>. right. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, the writer Ruth Montgomery back in the eighties wrote a, a bunch of books about the new age, uh, movement at that time as it was, uh, expanding. One of the things she said, there was going to be a new age president that would come and, uh, take us into a, a better, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I haven't felt that yet um you know i think it's interesting i mean i was i just got back from ireland on friday night really late and um 
I did talk politics a couple of times, once in a thrift store um, <laughs> and once in a pub. And it was just an interesting concept to see how other people see American politics. And <laughs> yeah. Kind of sad. Well, no, global politics, talking about their own problems and stuff like that. Too. Uh -huh. I think that, you know, climate change and climate crisis is um, going to ruffle a lot of feathers and we're going to see a lot of collapse. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons why we have to kind of go back to those ways of honoring our beloved dead, creating relationships with our ancestors and the world around us because we're lost. We're spiritually starving and we're making poor decisions because of it. Because, you know, I'm not really a fond of, you know, organized religion. But I think that one of the problems that we're experiencing is that as organized religion, particularly, you know, um, the mass rule that Christianity held mm -hmm. for many years, as that kind of falls away, and people aren't assigned a religion at birth, you know, mm -hmm. because that's what happened when I was a kid, it was like, it was just assumed that you, you know, were Christian. Um, I think that one of the problems happens is that people don't know what to do. And so there's this spiritual starvation, you know, that they don't know how to <laughs> pray or what they're praying to, and they don't know how to connect to their ancestors and they don't know how to um, connect to the earth itself. And while technology allows us to connect to people all over the world, like we're doing right now, it's in a very, um, there's a, an emptiness with it. There's a spiritual void. There That's is what I, yeah. Void. Yeah. When our, our daughter was born, we we decided to raise her completely outside of religion, even though Trish and I were both raised as Catholics. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we, we talked about spirit and uh, our belief in the afterlife, but nothing, nothing religious. And, uh, but she she did pick up some things from us uh, in a kind of unusual way, but nothing. You really, tell her yeah, the yeah, Toro story, okay. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so she was at uh, the home of a very Christian friend when she was about eight or nine years old, and she saw a picture or uh, saw a crucifix on the wall, and she asked the girl and her mother. Is that the hangman? Because I read Jerome parts. <laughs> oh, nice. The yeah. woman never spoke to us again. Yeah. yeah, we had a similar story in our household that my daughter, when she was um, in like fifth or sixth grade, she came home and she wanted, told me she wanted to go to church. And I couldn't figure out why. So I gave her this video first. And turns out that um, she had thought that Jesus was a cool kid who lived in the next town over. Because... <laughs> People would talk about going to church on Sunday and hanging out with Jesus. And so <laughs> my God. Yeah, but good. same thing, we yeah. didn't. We talked every time my kids had a question. I would try to t to say, "Well, this is what some people believe, right. and this is what other people believe, and this is what I personally believe." But you can figure out for yourself what it is that you believe. Um, I feel really fortunate in that I've had a lot of experiences in life. So you know, you don't have to have faith when you have personal experience right? and you know, most people have to go through life with faith and, you know, and what personal experiences they have, they, they talk themselves 
out of. So one of the things I talk about in Spirit Speaker is taking words like maybe, kind of, and think so out of your vocabulary when you're mm-hmm. talking about your personal experiences with spirit. So, you know, because people will say like, I saw something out of the corner of my eye and I think it was my grandmother. Or I thought I saw something out of the corner of my eye. And I'm like, you either saw something out of the corner of your eye yeah, or you didn't. Exactly. You know, mm. oh, and then when they say it in the affirmative, I saw something out of the corner of my eye and it was my grandmother. I'm like, okay, so how'd that feel? And they're like, I saw something out of the corner of my eye and it was my grandmother. <laughs> like they mm, yeah. feel it when they say it. But when they start, they immediately throw in those doubt words because mm-hmm. that's what we've been trained. You know, right. we've been trained to think that our experiences are our imagination mm-hmm. you know that we have imaginary friends that you know whatever it is and so most people talk themselves out of the experience yeah that's it's true that they're not having them yeah you know, I, I've been saying recently that I have a spirit guide right at my fingertips because I have this thing on my <laughs> finger here that looks like a person. Oh gosh, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my spirit guide at my fingertips. <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, we haven't talked about suicides yet. I mean, I think that's an important question that people would be interested in hearing about. Uh, is what happens? Yeah. How does that? Sure. Yeah. What does that do? <laughs> so going back to my volume dial, you know, of emotions. Um, one of the things that I say first is that when somebody dies by suicide, um, or overdoses or dies from cirrhosis of the liver from years Mm -hmm. of abuse, they are partially responsible for their passing. And I use the word partially because using that analogy of a volume dial, they've been experiencing their emotions at an eight or a nine for a Mm -hmm. very, very long time. And when a person is in that place, it usually makes them make bad decisions because we know how um, we can react when we're hungry or when we're, we didn't really sleep good at night. Uh. And when we're in those moments, we might be more <clears throat> rash. We might make poor decisions. We might snap at somebody just because they said something in a way we didn't like it. Okay. So when a person is struggling with any kind of mental illness, that volume is so loud that they are exhausted by it. And they're also not going to be making the most, Mm -hmm. they're not going to be making the best judgment. So when they die due to their own hands in some shape or form, they are put into what I refer to as time out. So thinking about it, like, the timeout chair, like if you, if a kid's being naughty and you have Uh to sit in the chair and think about their actions, um, it's kind of the same thing. A person who has passed, you know, being responsible for their own passing is going to be in that timeout space and their emotions are turned down. Remember? So going, they're given relief. That's the first Mm -hmm. thing they experience is relief that they are not at that emotional level anymore. And, but then they have to watch how their actions affected other people. And they have to review their life and see where things went wrong. Often what they're seeing is how much they were actually loved. They're seeing how their death had devastating effects on other family members. Um, You know, so Mm. it's not always an easy thing to watch. 
And they also, if, you know, are likely going to have to repeat a similar situation in their next life because they didn't successfully learn whatever lesson it is that they came in to learn. Um, So I try to tell people that, you know, I want to make it really clear that it's still not a good decision. You know, I don't encourage it, but what I'm saying is their soul isn't damned for it. Uh You know, like that's it. Because that's the thing the church always, you know, yeah. And, in my opinion, it's absolutely cruel and unnecessary because not only is it cruel to the person who's passed, but it's cruel to their family to think yeah. that that's what's happening to their loved one. Mm-hmm. And because even without that belief, it is devastating for families. When mm-hmm. I work a lot with families who have lost somebody to overdose or suicide and I, that's a, where my role as a healer comes in a lot. Usually in those cases, I end up working with the family multiple times, either through spirit communication or through healing work, because it's so hard to heal when you have lost your child in particular, has taken their own life or has overdosed because of a addiction, you know, the same feelings of pain and where did I go wrong happened to the living. And, you know, that is really hard for the dead to also, because they have to watch that. They have to watch their loved ones suffering because of their loss. But it's really not the same though for suicide who, uh, who is, at the end of their life, uh, maybe oh, no, having, no. Ca- having cancer or they have days yeah. or weeks. You're to... talking about, um, uh, deliverance. Suicide. Mm-hmm. And, right. I mean, um, we do that to our animals, right? Well, in the state of Vermont, we do have that, the death with dignity act, which, um, I wrote about in spirit speaker. Mm-hmm. I, um, took part in one of she was the third person in the state of Vermont to use the death with dignity act and Brescia. And I was part of that death. And I was one of the people who had to sign off that she was mentally stable, making the decision. Um, And I was also one of the people who helped to give her the medication when the time came. Oh, and did you feel her as she passed? Oh boy. I bet. (laughs) He was, it was, first of all, it was one of the most beautiful deaths I've ever experienced. And I have been present at multiple deaths. Um, Brigia had already had her breasts removed from cancer a couple of years before. And then the cancer came back and she had bone cancer in the state of Vermont. You have to have your, you have to have permission through at the time there was only one doctor psychiatrist who could license it. You had to have mm-hmm. two friends say that you were um in your right mind. So somebody with dementia can't use it, which yeah. I have I find unfortunate. Um, but um so she we first tried to help her spiritually, like just kind of like she wanted to will herself into passing and she had a, a group of druids and um huh friends, fairy seership, you know, magical people with her. And at the end of the weekend, <clears throat> when it was coming, it was becoming clear that she wasn't going to pass her. She knew that she was going to take um, the medication and she got up. Um, 
half an hour before she woke everybody else up because I was sleeping outside of her bedroom. And she wrote love letters to friends who couldn't be there with her. Mm -hmm. And then she let everybody know. And we prepared the medication. Um, And there was, after taking the second medic, the first medication just helps the second medication to stay down. After taking the second medication, she had a half an hour to live. Wow. And Mm -hmm. during that time, we took photos and hugged and um, got to say all our goodbyes. And then she got into bed with our Druid wow. teacher and her brother on either side of her and the rest of us surrounding her. And we sang her over into spirit. Um, and she was speaking to me within like five minutes, 10 minutes of her death, <laughs> wow. telling me that I needed to get tea and coffee and <laughs> snacks out for people who would be coming. Did other people have contact with her too in any different ways, methods, synchronicities? Um, everybody there... felt her, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. you know, wow. everybody could feel her presence and, you know, it was a really beautiful experience, but I was the only one who was psychic. That wow. Was, yeah. Um, you call this the gray area, or mm-hmm. the gray? Well, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So the gray is the area that um, spirits gave me that word to refer to the time in which we are passing and mm-hmm. can't get better. And also sometimes when we first crossed into spirit, we're in the gray. And in those cases of a spirit might not know that they have passed over. Uh Also Mm -hmm. a spirit that is lost is most likely in the gray, you know, like Mm -hmm. you can call it limbo. Um, But the living being in the gray, um, I compare it to pregnancy. So when somebody is pregnant, we, the living can see that another person is coming Mm. in because the mother's belly is growing, giving us that physical sign that a person's coming in. And when somebody's in the gray, they start to show up more in the spirit world. So they're Mm. more visible there. Mm. And so their spirits, their beloved dead can prepare and come and kind of gather around them as they're crossing. And a person who is a medium is going to be more in the like also shows up in the gray but not they don't really refer to it as being the same but it's the same thing like i'm more visible in the spirit world than the average person Uh are your kids also psychic both of my children have some psychic ability my Uh daughter um works as a psychic reader And, um, my kids have both been Reiki practitioners since they were like eight and nine years old. Wow. (laughs) Um, they don't really work on other people as much with that. Um, my son's actually a barber, so that's what he does for Uh a job. But, Mm -hmm. um, but I tell people that, (laughs) that bartenders and hairdressers are (laughs) (laughs) that's true. Yeah. You so, say so that yes, both of my children have some ability. Yeah, that's great. You, you say that all of us have like a light that they can see from the other side to uh, mm-hmm. some str- different strength, different people. So when they're in that gray area near death, does that light uh, expand yes. that they're easy, yes, more they easier to find? That's yeah. a good way of putting it. They have more luminosity in the spirit world when they're okay. in the gray. Yeah. Um, and I actually shared a really one of my favorite stories about that in spirit speaker, I had a 
I did a gallery for a couple hundred women at um, a resort one year. They do this ladies retreat. And um, one of the people I called up on stage, I told her that her father-in-law was, uh, that her mother-in-law was coming through and that the mother-in-law was talking about her husband and which is, and that he was currently in a nursing home and that he was going to be crossing soon. So she was talking about her husband being in the gray. Mm-hmm. And I was able to give the woman enough information that she knew what I was talking about. The mother-in-law who was passed, talked <clears> about <throat> how they were dancers and that they'd be dancing together again soon. And they had been, they'd been people who like did ballroom dancing and stuff like that when they were younger. So it was a retreat. So the next day the lady came looking for me, I was teaching a class and she came to tell me that her husband had called because her father was actively dying. So the mother-in-law who had come through the night before saying he's going to be joining me soon, he ended up, um, the next day I got the confirmation that that was, was true. So the story goes on because the next year I did a gallery at the same event and the daughter came the um the lady who i'd read for so to be the granddaughter of mm-hmm. people who were passing mm-hmm. and she came to tell me that um when her grandfather was passing he had been comatose and he reached his arms up and then he started kicking his feet wow. and that the family having received my message knew that that was him dancing with their mom so oh, that's great you know, was, that was really just a beautiful moment. Uh, that's but a great that's a great a story spirit will when somebody's in the gray they will often experience their dead a lot more they're they're mm. become more psychically sensitive mm-hmm. during that time mm-hmm. and so do their caregivers yeah. Huh. That's a great story to end it with. Uh, John, you've been very oh, quiet. Oh, I, I could uh, just talk for the next three uh, hours. Are you kidding? <laughs> John, are you still alive? <laughs> no, yeah, I'm still. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm still. I'm still in this room. But uh, okay. uh, yeah. What do no, you think? I, oh no. Do you yeah, have any just, questions? Uh, well, I do, but I okay. don't think we have time to answer the questions. <laughs> I uh, well, I, and I guess I guess just a maybe the most straightforward one is. Uh, Beloved dead. I don't think I've heard that phrase before today. Is that, where does that phrase come from? That has just been what we've called the dead in my family and Mm -hmm. beloved dead for me are our family, friends, loved ones, and ancestors, spirit Uh guides, our beloved dead are our spirit team. So, you know, that's what I specialize in working with. And that's what I teach other people primarily to work with, you know, is their beloved dead. So when you asked earlier, Rob, about, um, you know, protection, when we're working with our beloved dead, those are the spirits that are already watching out for us. Uh-huh. When we start developing relationships with them, we don't have to worry so much about negative spirits coming after us because our team's going to be covering our back. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Okay. We got to have you on again, Sally. <laughs> Great <laughs> talking so many more to you. Questions. Yeah, it's been yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Thanks so much. We'll Thank send you a link. John, when is this one going up? Um, you know, I was, I think, I think it'll be next Sunday. I think, okay. I mean, it'll, it'll, I, it, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go, we'll go with next Sunday because I already had something ready to go up today. Okay. So, right. so uh, we'll how, how can people contact you? Oh yeah. Where can they find your books? 
They can find my books at any major bookseller, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Books a Million. Um, you know, so you go by stores. Sally Crow, S-A-L-I-C-R-O-W. That's that's yes. the name they can use. And my website is sallycrow.com. So S-A-L-I-C-R-O-W dot com sallycrow.com and you can find my services there um events in which i'm teaching and as well as books and all that kind of stuff yeah do you do okay. uh, telephone readings i do zoom readings i actually mm -hmm. do readings psychic readings and spirit communication for people all over the world i've done readings for people in 17 different countries wow. so yeah i've been doing this a while <laughs> Mm -hmm. Um, and I do readings, either zoom Skype. I do do phone, but most people prefer to do video, uh -huh. but I also see people in person in my offices at the Pearl in St. Johnsbury, Vermont, which is my psychic artisans guild and educational center. So I'm a busy That's gal. Great. Yeah. yeah, really? Like Plus it. you're a mom. <laughs> well, actually I'm a grandma. My kids are oh, grandmother. Yeah. So my God. I have one and a half yeah. year old grandchildren. That's oh, great. wow. The That's mom great. part of me has already been, that duty's done. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now we're in the grandchild face. It was great right. talking with you. Oh, just All wonderful. Right. Thanks so Thank much. You. This Enjoyed has been it. great. Take okay. care, Sally. Thank you. I know. Thanks for joining The Mystical Underground. Visit www.themysticalunderground.com for the latest blog post and book info. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Listen to the podcast at podcast.themysticalunderground.com. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Send email to podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. <laughs>